reading from the book of Jeremiah. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. You know, Christina, it always helps to have a professional editor of the University of Texas read a hard passage. So thank you for doing that. Um, again, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to worship with you today. Before we dive into this, passage, would you bow your heads with me as I begin with a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the title of our message today is A Flourishing City, and I'd like to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever mishandled a message? Paul, for our 50th anniversary, your father and I want to take your brother's family and you guys on the trip of a lifetime, said my mother over the phone. It's going to be unforgettable. You guys can surf, you can snorkel, you can even visit the lush, towering waterfalls 
And you can even see the sunrise at Haleakala. It's going to be amazing. Wow, I replied, shocked. I said, that sounds incredible, Mom. Just give us the dates and we'll try to make it happen. This was back in 2019, One Fellowship, just a couple of centuries ago. And yet, after lots of back and forth and lots of reservations, three different Sorensen families were able to book our trips together to go to Hawaii. As my mom, Jeej, said, it was going to be amazing. The only problem, our trip was planned for the summer of 2020. You're with me. Our trip was planned for the summer of 2020. How do you think that went? It didn't go at all. The pandemic had hit. Consequently, our, our trip was pushed back to early 2021, the winter time. Nonetheless, we thought, no worries. We're going to have a good time together celebrating my parents, and we'll see lots of whales. That was our thought process. But early 2021 hit, and what do you think happened? Well, the pandemic still raged on, so we had to push it back again. Finally, in the summer of 2021, after lots of patience flexibility, and new reservations, all three Sorensen families made our way to Hawaii to celebrate my parents' 50th anniversary, Gigi and Papa, on their 52nd anniversary. It was amazing. We had so much fun together. So why do I share this story? Well, on our last night in Hawaii, our sister-in-law, Angie, surprised everyone with custom-made t-shirts. She did. We had this reservation at this fancy Italian restaurant, and she pulled out these cute blue shirts that she had had designed, printed, and then she'd brought with her to Hawaii to celebrate my parents. Here's what those shirts looked like. We all wore them on that special last evening together. Now here's the deal. They were supposed to read Gigi and Papa, happy 50th anniversary in Hawaiian. Using Google Translator, Angie had sourced the phrase. Unfortunately, that evening we discovered that the phrase, phrase she had printed meant something completely different. Because as locals walked by us, they laughed at us. They did. Finally, my brother mustered up the courage to ask, what do these shirts actually say? What do they read? To which a kind woman informed us that our shirts weren't celebrating any anniversary at all. Rather, they were celebrating a local fertility festival. <laughs> it's a true story. Language. It matters. Turns out that word she'd sourced for anniversary did not mean anniversary. So let me ask you, have you ever mishandled a message before? The reason I, I share this preamble is because our passage this morning is one of the most mishandled passages in the whole Bible. It is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We, the, we see this stamped on bumper stickers and t-shirts all the time, right? Right? It's perhaps the most quoted passage in the world from Scripture. However, unless Scripture is understood in its original context, 
it actually loses its meaning and power in appropriate application. That's why I'm excited as we continue to roll out our vision uh, for one fellowship of building a lasting community, a flourishing city in a gospel movement. That's why I'm excited to unpack Jeremiah 29 with all of you today. So with that introduction, here's the big idea we're gonna see from God's word this morning. No matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish and seek the flourishing of your city. Friends, no matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish and seek the flourishing of your city. And we're gonna draw this out together through three points. Point one, no matter your place in life, God cares for you. Point two, no matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish. And then point three, no matter your place in life, God wants you to seek the flourishing of your city. So let's dive in. Point one, no matter your place in life, God, uh, excuse me, God cares for you. Beginning with verse one, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jer Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. And then dropping down to verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. As I alluded to in our introduction, today's passage contains a twist, a really big twist. When it was written, the Jewish people were in trouble. You see, in a world dominated by political upheaval in the 7th and 6th centuries BC, after years of spiritual decay and waywardness, God finally allowed Judah, the southern kingdom of the Jewish people at the time, to be captured and exiled by the Babylonian Empire. This means they were literally ripped from their homes and from their homeland and made to live in a foreign country. And history tells us that this happened again and again and again to the Jewish people, especially under Babylonian rule. Now, looking at our specific passage, did you catch exactly the type of people who were sent into exile? It's important. They took the craftsmen, the skilled craftsmen, the people of noble standing, the professional class, if you will, of the nation of Judah. Why? Because the Babylonians hoped to not only assimilate the Jews into their land, their empire, to profit from them, but to also water down their hearts to secure their allegiances away from the Jewish God, Yahweh, to their own gods, if you will. Put simply, they wanted to transition the Jews into becoming Babylonians. Thus, the Jews in Babylon at that time would not only have felt great grief, they would have felt great pressure. You see? Conform or life will be hard for you. You got it? 
And it's in this context that Jeremiah wrote our passage today. So pulling back and bringing this into the room, why is this important? Well, it's important because it shows that even in hard places and spaces in life, God still cares. God is still active. God is still there. Listen, sometimes for reasons known and unknown, God allows bad things, hard things, painful things to happen to his people. That broken relationship, that period of going without, that unexpected death, that leadership transition, or that time of obvious mistreatment. Yes, these things happen. We know they happen. And yes, God mysteriously in his sovereignty allows these things to happen. But does it mean God's abandoned his people? God's abandoned you? And the answer is clearly no. Absolutely not. Friends, elsewhere in the Old Testament, we see Joseph was sold into slavery and even landed in a foreign jail. jail. Yet God still cared for Joseph. Moses, as you may recall, was abandoned as a baby and later charged with leading a bunch of knuckleheads through the desert. Yet God still cared for Moses. David, loyal to Saul, had to flee from his mentor, Saul, to protect his very life and live in caves. But God still cared for David. And Daniel, sincere in the faith, was tossed into a lion's den, a sure death, yet God still cared for Daniel. Listen, no matter where you find yourself in life, even in the toughest times in life, God still cares for you. He does. Beaten down, beaten up, exiled to a foreign land, yes, even in that place, God still cares for his people, and that's where God still cares you. And this leads us to that famous promise, right? That we know. Verse 11 through 13, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Wow. Do you see how much more meaningful our passage and those promises are? when you read them in the context of when they were written to the exiled heart, there's so much hope and so much promise in these words. So friends, what do we do when facing tough times? Well, in the words of Corey Tindum, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Trust the engineer. Point one, no matter your place in life, God still cares for you. Point two, no matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So looking back at where we've been this fall thus, thus far, last week we talked about God's vision, vision for building 
a lasting community. If you miss it, you can jump on our YouTube channel or on our podcast and catch up. But we shared last week how brick by brick, built on the cornerstone of Jesus, God's building a home. Each one of us a living stone. Moreover, we share that it's in this very home that the Spirit of God is meant to dwell, the church now serving as the new temple of God. Thus, if someone wants hope, they don't need to take a pilgrimage to Israel anymore. They don't need to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They don't need to take a pilgrimage to the site of the ancient temple. No, they're invited to meet with God's people in the church, the new temple of the living God. Returning now to our passage, Jeremiah 21, excuse me, 29 serves as a foreshadowing of this hope. What we talked about last week. How are we to flourish? Well, our passage is clear. Mark, God says, make a home. Ange, God says, make a home. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Mary, have sons and daughters, etc., etc. I especially love how our passage uses language. Again, I know we have some language experts here today. Specifically, God uses language to emphasize his, his vision of doing life on life, life together. Specifically, we read time and time again, not uh, nouns that are individual or singular in format, but plural in this passage. Meaning, when we read, I know the plans I have for you, and find wise for your sons, etc., etc., it's saying there's no me without the we in flourishing. Let me repeat that. Because of the plural language here, there's no me without the we in God's plan for flourishing. Remember that the next time you quote this passage, Jeremiah 29. It's a promise in a call to community, not just for you, but for us. And I did look outside at the walls. Some of you wrote scripture in our dedication Sunday and you wrote that passage out there. Thank you, because it's applicable to us. Furthermore, note the familial language in God's word here. Sons, daughters, wives. Here's the point, Lou, here's the point. God's vision for you and for me and the person sitting across the room for you, from you is this, that we look around and we find our family. Church, we're called to look around and invest in God's family. Make a home, we're told. Build a community, Mike, that reflects me. That's your path to flourishing. Again, it's a beautiful call to lasting community. Another story on this front. This last spring, we ran Alpha. It was spectacular. We ran Alpha. We're going to run it again. If you're not in a group, we have over 300 adults signed up for groups this fall, but there's still room for you in our groups. Shameless plug for Alpha that Carly and I and others will be leading. Well, this last spring, we ran Alpha. And to successfully run Alpha, you need a great team. So we built a great team. And this team included a gentleman named Greg. You might say Greg's a reluctant leader, right? Here's why. Greg's been coming to One Fellowship for 24 months, but he didn't always, frankly, like our church or want to come to our church. First, his wife and daughter, Sharon and Asia, started coming to our church. Then Greg caved in. 
And he caved in and he started coming and he fell in love with our community, our church. So much so that he became a member of our church. And from there, Greg and Sharon, the two of them joined our connections team to welcome you. Again, I think this was Sharon's idea, but he did what his wife told him to do. And they joined the connections team. Finally, I said, you guys should join the alpha team. You really should. And I'll tell you, it really took some urging on my part. So with that backdrop, imagine my surprise when Greg, last May, after our latest a run of Alpha came to me and he said, Pastor, I have a testimony. You have a testimony? I have a testimony. He said, following the completion of Alpha, he was invited to serve on our prayer team in the back of the room. In that first Sunday he was serving on our prayer team, a young man came up to him for prayer. The young man's prayer request, he and his wife needed healing and comfort over a recent miscarriage. This couple, the young man shared, had been trying to have kids for quite some time, and they were devastated with the loss of their baby. So Greg lovingly prayed for them. Now, what this young man didn't know and couldn't have known at the time when he went to the back of the room for prayer is that his specific prayer requests had been the largest pain point in Greg and Sharon's life for years. You see, they too had experienced multiple miscarriages and they too had wrestled with the resulting sadness and pain and anger from all of those losses. However, listen, Greg had told no one about their losses. They, they had told no one about this. That is why when Greg came up to me, he had humility and wonder in his eyes and he said, Pastor, it couldn't have been a coincidence. It couldn't have been an accident. Out of all of the men in our church, God positioned me on that Sunday to pray for that specific man. He did, Pastor. You know what, One Fellowship? Greg was right. Point two, no matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish. How does he want you to flourish? By, by helping you find your family, find your tribe, make a home, he says to us, together. And point three, no matter your place in life, God wants you to seek the flourishing of your city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now as we... As we look at this last point, point three, I want to honor the leader that completely expanded my view on this passage in Scripture in general, and that's the late Tim Keller. As some of you know, Redeemer City to City, the church planning group that he helped found, helped plant this very church you're sitting in today. Well, more than any other passage, I believe this passage, Jeremiah 29 verse 7 to be specific, was Tim's seminal verse. And through his research on this very passage, he discovered some critical theological and historical information. You see, when the Israelites were first exiled in Babylon, they refused to engage the Babylonians. 
In fact, they set up a separate encampment by a river outside the city of Babylon. The Jews were not gonna pollute themselves uh, by foreign gods or people, you see. So they lived separately. However, what do we read God command in this passage? Tyndall, we read, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait, what? That would have been the Jewish response. Wait, what? Are you writing? What are you saying, God? These people, the Babylonians, are enemies. You want us to seek their shalom? That's the Hebrew word here. Their shalom, their total and complete flourishing? Yes, I want you to love them too, God says. Church, keep in mind that some of these Babylonians would have killed, maimed, and hurt family members and friends of these Jews. And yet God says, yes, I want you to love them too. So how is that possible? How is it possible to love your enemy? Well, it's not outside of the grace of God. Humanly speaking, it's impossible to love people who've hurt you or hurt those you love. That's why in our passage, God says, Leah, pray. Austin, pray. Paul, pray for your enemies. Pray for your city. Pray. Grace one fellowship. It's all about grace. It's all about God's undeserved kindness and favor, first filling our hearts through prayer and then filling our neighborhoods, a city saturated by grace. Does this sound familiar? Bridging to the New Testament, what do we read in John chapter one? In the words of the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish, grace, not in theological terms, but in our incarnational form, grace. In our passage, the Lord is calling us to be a community of radical, scandalous, life-changing grace. So pulling back, let me ask some questions. One fellowship, what if we started to pray not only for our family members and friends, but our neighbors. As you drive back to wherever you're going this week, going, going today, wherever you go, I know we have some visiting from out of town, wherever you live, would you dare to pray for your neighbors as you drive by them? Would you dare to do prayer walks around your neighborhoods, your city? What if we started to pray not only for our friends, but that man, woman, or child that drives us nuts? What if we dared to do that too? Grace. What if we started to pray and champion the various causes and industries of our city, whether we get a payout or any credit at all? What if we said, we are for you, Charleston? All the different industries, all the different leaders. And one fellowship, what if we became a church known as a church that loves Charleston and other cities well? What if that was our legacy? You see, One Fellowship, God not only wants us to reach kids and couples and adults from various backgrounds, he wants us to reach whole cities with his love. In the words of Tim Keller, cities have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. 
This means cities carry more dignity, depravity, and diversity than any other place on the planet. Thus, more opportunity for widespread redemption and the display of God's glory. Point three, no matter your place in life, God wants you to seek the flourishing of your and my city. In closing, I'd like to end with this quote from the late Scottish clergyman George MacLeod. I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at a crossroad of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek, and at that kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about and that is where Christ's own ought to be and that is what church people ought to be about. Friends, no matter your place in life, even right now, God cares for you. No matter your place in life, God wants you to flourish and find your family. And no matter your place in life, God wants you to seek the flourishing of your city. That's our call. That's my call. That's your call. That's one fellowship's call. The question at hand is this. Will you dare to say yes? Trusting, building, and going on mission as a gospel community with us to our city and other cities for years, God willing, generations to come. Who's with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for this charge, for this call that all comes back to grace, the grace we don't deserve, but you give to us, you care for us in all the hard spaces and places, and then you call us to one another, to this family, and then you call us to our city, to our neighbors. God, whatever place you've placed us, Help us to lean into your love and seek the flourishing of those around us. We pray for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.